millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Full Throttle Bikes podcast here at Eurosport after another very dramatic weekend of bike racing at Brands Hatch for BSB and here at Motorland Aragon, which is where I am right now in the commentary box after two very energetic and different, I think it's fair to say, World Superbike encounters. And it means that after six races and three rounds this year, we've had two wins apiece for Marco Melandri, Charles Davis and Jonathan Ray. Welcome to the latest Full Throttle podcast. So we begin, as always, with our race review. I'm Greg Haynes, and with me is Freddie Spencer, who's joined us for the first time, the former MotoGP world champion, the youngest ever in 1983. He did it again in 1985. Of course, it was 500cc then, but that year won the 250cc title as well. The only man in history to have done that. So it was an absolute pleasure to be alongside Freddie in the commentary box this weekend. Freddie, what did you make of it all? Well, it was just, first off, Greg, it was great to be involved with the Eurosport broadcast, my first time this weekend working with you and, and the whole team, and it was a real pleasure, and, and I, I really hope the fans enjoyed it. Our, our goal always is to is to bring them into the fold and, and make them feel like they're they're at the event, and, and I know this weekend was the first time that uh, practice was shown on the on the network on Eurosport yeah, 1. Yeah. And that was good fun, wasn't it? It was. It was great because what it did, it, it, it allowed us to get into to more of the backstories yeah. and when we do love a chat yes, don't we, anyway and <laughs> it allows it allows us to talk a little bit about how the riders get to the lap time and and for the fans to follow on from the very beginning and and as it showed this weekend first practice was wet and then the weather got better and better as the weekend went along so it reduced the amount of free practice that they had opportunities to do race pace uh, long stints, uh, and again, the dramatic change in temperature from Friday up until today. And, and so anyway, that, that was great to be a part of that, and I think from the response that it was, it's certainly worth doing, and the fans seemed to really like it. So the other thing is, is, is just the, uh, the status of the Superbike Championship and, and, and kind of where it's going. You know, I, I was involved in Superbike racing in the formative years, really, of the AMA Superbike that in the early 80s and that led to the Superbike World Championship being formed and beginning in 1988. Mm -hmm. 
And so, you know, I, superbike racing to me is such a, an important part of, of motorcycling. You know, we I said on the broadcast a couple of times today, it's win on Sunday, sell on Monday, you know, yeah. and, and it's true because it is bikes that the fans can certainly relate to. In terms of the actual track action, there was something we talked about, first of all, that I wanted to bring up here about qualifying tyres, because we saw three crashes into turn two on qualifying tyres in Super Bowl two. One of them was quite critical, actually, for the way the weekend panned out in the end, because Charles Davis went down, ended up starting... 11th on the grid and now we've got more of a chance to really discuss this what's your feeling on the fact that we have qualifying tires first of all and then the fact that the qualifier is only on the rear but not on the front of the bike well uh, yeah what happened was Chaz davies he had he had kind of struggled and and this not so much had to do with what happened in qualifying but it certainly makes it to where he had less dry laps again that first practice was in basically in the wet and, yeah yeah and so then in the afternoon they had three practices on that first day on friday in superbike now and, and he had problems in that third session where he didn't get to run very many laps in the dryer in fact not really i think mm. he didn't get to run mm. at all and so now you go into super pole you basically you have you know practice for a short one on Saturday morning you go into Super Pole and only in Super Pole 2 session which is obviously the fastest guy uh, riders that's the only time they allow qualifying tires and as I found out this weekend only on the rear now my problem with that and it's the same problem that I one reason why I did not like to run qualifying tires when I was in Grand Prix was because with that extra side grip in the normal front it pushes the front it can push the front, and I've had the exact same type crash that Chas Davies had. Push the front, lose the front. It happens so quickly, you can't save it. There really down. is no chance. Yeah, it's it because you get you have so much more edge grip, and the edge grip doesn't even have to be under acceleration. Even going into the corner pushes the front into the uh, because of the extra side grip on the rear. You don't get lateral movement. Mm. You get forward drive. And again, you get in there a little hotter anyway because you're pushing harder because it's it's qualifying lap. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, you only get one, usually one lap, maybe two out of a qualifying tire. But anyway, and what happened happened. And, and so you, you're right. Yeah, it, it was three <clears throat> crashes pretty much right in a row there in turn two on the right side. And, and so he... Unfortunately for Chaz, because that happened when it did, he had only had the top out of the 12 riders, he was only in love with Quinkus. Yeah. So if you looked at practice, he was struggling, even though, as we know, he goes very well here, having won one out of every two races that he's competed in here at Aragon, he wins. So it, it, it brought some extra drama to the, to the race for sure. There has been a bit of bad news recently, unfortunately. Two of the top riders are out of action at the moment. Eugene Laverty broke his pelvis in a crash in Thailand when he crashed, and Jordi Torres went over him. There was nothing Jordi could have done. And Jordi, unbelievably, was involved in an incident here on the first lap of the Superbike race on Saturday as well, when he went down and was ridden over by Lorenzo Savadori with Leon Camia this time. Sorry, Leon Camia went down and was ridden over by Lorenzo Savadori. Uh, Jordi Torres was involved in that one as well. Extremely unfortunate. Leon Camier, three broken ribs and a damaged lung. He's been transported right now as we record this podcast about five o'clock in the evening on Sunday to hospital in Andorra, which is good news. He's closer to home. Uh, but at least he's okay, Freddie, relatively speaking. It could have been a terrible accident. Well, it was. And you're, you're always concerned, especially in a high-speed corner like that, 
to where um, there was no place for Tories and, and, and for them to go. Yeah. And, and so the impact that Leon took was to write directly on the chest. Yeah. And he was really, we were unsure how bad he was hurt and there was nothing anyone could do. It's unfortunate for them because they seem to be with the change from the Cosworth Electronics to the Magley, um, the, the different system that some of the issues that he was describing on Friday to me mm. uh, the day before he had that crash was improving, which was that those transition points and the consistency of how the electronics is working and the crew's ability to make adjustments. And in those areas, it's very critical and very helpful for the rider. And so, you know, that unfortunately, the last year of the Red Bull Honda team, they've really, you know, unfortunately, they've had some issues yeah. and, and struggles and with uh, parts, getting improvements, things arriving, um, you know, and, and getting getting kind of the R&D part there. They obviously, it's a, it's a team, Kate's a great team, a very strong team. Red Bull, the sponsorship, now it's just a matter of, of kind of things going maybe a little more their way, um, and and enough track time, as Leon even said himself, uh, enough track time to kind of work through and refine it. You know, for everybody listening, this the thing that that might surprise you the most that they struggle with is consistent performance on electronics. Now, what I mean by that is is that as they get into the corner, you have engine braking, which is the rear of the machine and how much engine compression is allowed through the electronics with the engine to help the bike slow down so the riders can get a higher entry speed and, and keep the bike balanced, not have to be so hard on the front brakes. The next is is initial traction control and then, the, and then controlling the spin on the exit of the corner. Then you have wheelie control, which because these bikes with the amount of horsepower they have, they want to lift the front end under hard acceleration as you are exiting the corner. All of those things affect. Now, the transitions is where they struggle from engine braking in the transitional corner entry to initiate throttle and then and then from there to wheelie control and where they want to have and consistency through the range of acceleration as the bike is powering from lower rpm to higher rpm is it smooth and linear does the electronics interfere too much at one rpm um you know at nine or ten thousand and then maybe cuts out too soon at 11 and that's the consistency part that the rider's looking for and, and it's 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 a balance you know it's a compromise it certainly is and we'll move on now to rider of the weekend and we'll talk a bit more about what's actually happened in terms of the race winners but this is where freddie can actually name officially once again his rider of the weekend So, Freddie, we talked about Rider of the Day on Saturday, Rider of the Day on Sunday, Rider of the Weekend. Two winners, of course, this weekend, as I'm sure you'll all know if you've been watching on Eurosport and the Eurosport Player. Always good to see two different winners, Jonathan Ray and Chaz Davis. The championship looks open. We've had two wins apiece now for Melandry, Davis and Ray. Who's your Rider of the Weekend, though? Javi Forres, I think. I'll have to suggest him as well. He's in there. What's your personal feeling, though? Well, if he hadn't have crashed out, yeah, um, yeah. I... I 
he would have probably been a shoe-in for me. And and I know we, we had a little fun on Saturday because I picked Jonathan Ray. And then, you know, when we went back to the guys at Brands Hatch and then, you know, Matt was like, you know, <laughs> trying to wind Jamie up. And because Jamie had said he, he picked fours. And, and I understand exactly why, yeah, you know, but he tried to make it sound like we were in this huge disagreement. <laughs> but Jamie and I know each other, so we're mm-hmm. all good. We got each other's back as racers, by the way. Yeah. You know, we got to watch out for these announcers. So, <laughs> oh, but, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, so, but I picked Jonathan Ray because he he ran such a um, a a managed race. We and because we we were able to show qualifying and different things, I got to talk about where where Jonathan maybe seemed a little bit weaker than the Ducatis, which was in segment four. He talked about that Friday afternoon mm. with Charlie, and yeah. which was which was very important. So you could see that he had a little little tension you know it's not con- lack of confidence but he knew that you know with with some of the rules they've done this year by lowering the rpm on the kawasaki they're having to he's kind of having to work harder in other areas and and he even said after the race on sunday finishing second he was pretty happy with it because he was having to really work hard in segment one and two which i'd said yeah i could see that he was really being efficient in it's what winning the race on saturday it's what kept him in the race on Sunday. Yes. Right? And they were totally, they were two different results, but he really managed both situations as a world champion does to maximize what he, to get everything he could out of it. And because of that, I'm going to pick Jonathan Ray. And it might be a little different than most, but I would have, I would have certainly considered for his way he was, he was riding until he had that crash in race two. And Chaz Davies, you know, a great ride considering what happened in practice. Uh, but overall, for both races and even across the classes, I was have to say Jonathan showed why he's world champion. Well, we had some great social media reaction over the weekend, and now it's time for the Star Tweet. Usually at this point of the show, we would pick our favourite tweets from over the weekend and read it out and talk a little bit about what was actually mentioned. But if you're in agreement, Freddie, I think the star tweet should be everyone who tweeted us this weekend because we had so many great messages, questions, some jokes as well, pictures sent to us along yes. the way. And I it really that. enhanced the coverage, yes. I thought, in Friday yes. practice in particular. Yes, and I loved the... the um the viewer who sent in the photo that he actually sent it to you. So Dave Aldana, because we were talking about a helmet that, that was kind of skull and bones, and then I brought up about, I've seen leathers like that, and he found a picture of Dave Aldana from the early 80s, Superbike. And, um, mm-hmm. but I, I agree with you. I think by giving it to all the ones who took the time, participated in the show, our goal is to provide an opportunity for you to feel involved, to share stories, to help enhance the broadcast for all you viewers. And as I thank Greg for his his making me feel welcome, the entire crew, I want to thank the, all the viewers who watch this and listen to this uh, for their participation and kind, kind words and tweets and that it will only get better. This is our first weekend. I haven't done a broadcast in a long time. It's the first time the World Superbike and it was a lot of fun and, and I look forward to the next one. And, and I want to wish Greg and, and Jamie and the whole crew have a great show next week in Assen. I think the championship, it bodes well for the season. 
Thank you very much, Freddie. Yeah, really looking forward to Asa next weekend. And I'd just like to say a personal thank you to all of you as well, because whether we get feedback or constructive criticism, and we get both, we get plenty of positive feedback and constructive criticism too, and sometimes some other tweets too. But honestly, the most important ones are the ones from you guys back home. It's all very well getting messages from people in the paddock and family and all that sort of thing. But uh, if it's the viewers back home Absolutely. who are enjoying the show, that's the important thing. Absolutely. We're running out of time before we get Whittam on the line from Brands Hatch. So uh, we'll move on. But thank you, yes, to both pictures, actually, of the skeleton leathers that were sent in. Because actually, oh. I forgot to tell you, Freddie. I'm sorry oh, about well, that. Uh. Yeah, no, my apologies. I forgot to tell you there was another one sent in as well of a road racer. Uh, I think it was in Ireland who, <laughs> who uses them as well. Yeah, so uh, well, it was great. Yeah. To see yeah, the, the interaction. Well, Dave Aldana, I know he inspired a whole contingent yeah. of Aldana nights. And that was Daytona, that particular yeah, picture, that was wasn't Daytona, it? Yeah, Daytona, yeah. And first time I actually saw him uh, wear those leathers was 1974 at the Houston National. Wow. Yeah. yeah, they look fantastic. Very Halloween-like, I thought. actually three times in practice. With those leathers With on? With those leathers on. Well, it seems sort of suitable yeah, in a way, exactly. doesn't it, if you're wearing a skeleton exactly. suit. Okay, yeah. well, or leathers as they were back then. They really were leathers then. Uh, right, here's Tech Talk. Excuse me for being boring, everybody, but I'm going to have to talk about the Marco Melandri wobbles again here because we've had James's uh, opinion on this, of course, in previous podcasts. Freddie's got a great way of describing it as well. It's still happening. Well, and, and what, what, I, what I had said once, and, and it ties in with what, what Marco had said, and is the bike especially, and I understand it happened on other tracks too, but... On circuits, particularly like here at Aragon, where there's a lot of high-speed direction changes, Marco's a very small rider, and so they want to make the bike as agile as possible. And one way that you do that is you raise the ride height to get that center gravity a little higher. Mm. And what that allows is, is the bike is easier to initiate the direction change from right up to center and then let's say to the left as you would say if you think back what you saw on the, on the broadcast today there's a lot of corners like that right to left jonathan ray was making great passes and sections like that but anyway to be able to make it more agile so it doesn't wear him out during the race they make it as light as possible where they have to raise it up get center gravity up the other thing is he's small and so they can't have the bike very stiff, so they have to make it as soft as possible so that he has good feedback. And, he, and he's not an aggressive rider anyway, uh, mm, Marco's mm. not. And so that sets up the situation that we saw where it's high speed instability. Now the problem with that is for him is not only in the instability, makes him nervous, but it takes away one of his actual strengths, which is because of his size and weight is the acceleration. And then he, he talked about he got up next to Jonathan and got so unstable, he didn't really feel comfortable making passes. And that was actually on the front straight, yeah, wasn't it? It wasn't even the back speed, straight. No. And, and the thing is, the problem with that is someone might say, well, it, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be that bad. Well, it can be, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and the thing is, is that I have seen someone actually crash. Really? Yeah. Mm. And so it can happen where the head shake, but with steering dampers, it's not, you don't see it as much as you would have a long time ago. But, and, but I have seen someone get in such a high speed wobble that it literally, the handlebars come out of their hand and they lose control and crash. Actually, I remember and, seeing some spectacular footage of that happening in the Isle of Man once. It, and it, well, it was exactly. a horrible looking you incident. That, you would see it certainly in some places, road course like that, because of the, the, the course, yes. you know. Yeah. But it, exactly, so it can happen. So I understand Marco's concern, but, it's, like I said, it, it, the worst part is, is it, it affects 
that what should be his one of his strengths, yeah. which is acceleration and straightaway the speed. Straight thing. Yeah, yeah, like, straight you know, because Chaz Davies is so much bigger. Remember, when he was behind Marco, he couldn't even draft behind. No, indeed. So right. unless, so they've either got to make some sort of change there or, or extend yeah. Marco Melandri's legs, yeah. which I guess yeah. he doesn't really want yeah. to do. Well, they just have to just figure out a setup that yeah. will still give him the uh, characteristics he needs. But get stability back. Yeah. Well, Freddie, we're almost there. Here's the World Superbike checkered flag. Right, so Freddie Spencer's thoughts, not just on the broadcast, but on the whole weekend. As we've said, it's been an absolute pleasure working together. I think we can both agree with that. We, we like positive energy, Absolutely. don't we? We've had a lot of uh, good conversations about that over the weekend. But in terms of the, of the championship, what do you reckon the feeling is now moving forward to Assen? First of all, they've got to get all of the freight across there in the next two days. That's quite a long drive from Aragon all the way over to Assen. And then race-wise, it's always very close there. Yeah, well, it's a racetrack that um, anything can happen, as you said. One, the weather uh, certainly plays a huge part in in what happens around there. You see that in the World Superbike. It's certainly in the World MotoGP. Anything with the weather conditions there, they can they can change so rapidly. But I, I think it still comes down to the Ducatis, obviously, and, and the Kawasaki team. I, I, I would hope that Tom Sykes, you know, he really struggled this weekend. Considering that, that was um, yeah, exactly. that was difficult to watch. It actually. was considering, especially when you saw he was so close going into segment four of getting pole. And uh, yeah, and we were then, talking about is it going to be the pole record? Exactly. Like that, and that was actually exactly. his best moment of the weekend in, exactly. a, in a way, wasn't it? And he really struggled in the races. See what happens there. Yeah. Um, I think also um, it's going to be interesting to see. What actually plays out with the concessions and things? You, oh you know, yes, my interest is peaked from I, I, things. I forgot you, about that. I know yeah. what you said about that. And, and, yeah. and who gets one? And, and it, I'll tell you what, it's, there might be some squawking going on. It'd be interesting to hear what Jamie has to say about that next week. Yeah, basically, if Kawasaki gets well. Gets, yeah, for those of you who don't know, sorry, Freddie. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, it basically means with concession points, the manufacturer, if they finish on the podium, a win gives you three concession points. Second place, two. Third place, one. And if you're after round three, which is here, nine points or more behind the concession point leader, you're able to get an engine upgrade. Um, anyway. To cut a long story short, Kawasaki is nine points behind Ducati, so everybody apart from Ducati gets an upgrade. It seems ironic, doesn't it, that with Kawasaki having said, ooh, the rules are against us, they're going to get the upgrade and Ducati won't. But obviously, there's been more Ducatis up there. Forres has exactly. been up there too. Yeah, that's that's what it is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the amount of Ducatis up, up there. With, with Tom Sykes not doing so well, yeah. it, it'd be another story if he was up on the podium with Jonathan or even in the top four or five. But uh, in both races, he struggled this weekend. So anyway, it'd be interesting to see. Probably won't be any change on the RPM limit limiting, uh, as you said, you know, after mm. this weekend. Yeah. And um, and anyway, it's, it, it certainly it makes it interesting and um so i encourage everyone that's around asa next week i heck get out and go to the race hope you watch the broadcast and you know look forward to seeing you next time thank you very much see you at imola uh, sorry at uh, mizano rather yes. later on but you're at imola of course next weekend yeah. for a classic event so enjoy that pretty yes, i know you have a flight to get and you've got yes. to get back to barcelona so thank you very much for waiting and now on the line hopefully mr james whitham from brands hatch let's talk about bsb First of all, are you nice and dry because it looked a bit wet over there? Yeah, we didn't have a bad weekend. It, um, the rain came in perhaps about three o'clock, uh, just as the Super Sport 
feature race was getting going, that was stopped and then restarted. But it also meant that uh, the second BSB race was mucked about. That started in dry conditions, then changed to a wet race because the rain came in again. But to be quite honest, uh, it didn't detract from the excitement at all. It was a really good meeting. And I think sometimes a little bit of rain and a little bit of sort of scuttling around, putting different tyres on, uh, it's quite exciting for the viewers. It was good actually, wasn't it? And two more new winners. So we've got three winners now from four races like we had in World Superbike. Shane Burns won one, which I was expecting at Brands. Leon Haslam's won one as well. But Bradley Ray still leading the championship. I mean, he couldn't have been a much better start to the season, really. Well, we, we couldn't have predicted before Donington that we were going to have a second year, still rookie really, a sort of second year rookie leading the championship and having a double win. And it kind of continued at Brands. Um, Brad was spectacular in qualifying. He hadn't been that brilliant until we actually got to the timed uh, kind of qualifying, three qualifying sessions. And it was brilliant. He got quicker and quicker and quicker, ended up going underneath the track record, both in terms of one lap in uh, qualifying and a race record as well. So he went quicker than anybody had on two wheels before around Brands of 44.9. Yeah, wow. Uh, and he did it looking like he was under control, not sticking his neck out, not looking like he was going to chuck the thing in the trees at any point. So it was um, almost a continuation of, of, of Donny in, in that respect. The first race, uh, he went out front, he got a cracking start, did Brad Ray, uh, led it for most of the race. We got into the back markers. Uh, which you always do at Brands at Shindy because it's such a short lap. Even, you know, some of the lads, this is a, a close competitive field, but but even uh, with that, you're going to get into the back markers at, at, uh, at Brands at because it's just, it's only a 1.2 mile lap. It's a 44 seconds, so you're in jump pretty quick. I think that Brad made the best of the first few back markers, but then uh, he made a little bit of a mistake and ran wide. That gave Shane Byrne, who'd been shadowing, shadowing him the whole time, um, it gave him the opportunity without having to make an opportunity because I think that's what Shane had planned. I think I think he had a plan for the last couple of laps. Uh, but with a couple to go, um, Brad handed him an opportunity, ran wide of Paddock Hill, Shane went up the inside and really didn't allow um, Brad any way back. He put a couple of laps in or a lap and a half of really quick uh, riding and then won the race. So that was good for both. Brilliant for... Shane Byrne got his season really underway, and but but re- equally as good for for Brad Ray keeping his championship going because you know second and really well cleared of anybody else to be honest. Uh, and then the second one, they, they started off in dry conditions, um, and then they were brought back in when it came on to rain reasonably hard. Everybody went out on wets, full wets, uh, except for strangely Jason O'Halloran who went out for a wet front went out with a wet front and an intermediate, a cut-slip rear, which clearly wasn't going to work early on, but then it, the conditions didn't come to him and he ended up pulling in midway through. Everybody else went out on full wets um, and it turned into a four-way dice, a really good race at the front. It was uh, it was a cracker. I mean, you know, sometimes as a rider, you really want a dry race. People go well in the wet sometimes, but you've always got more chance of making a little mistake that's going to end up in a big crash which you don't really have in the drive. Uh, but it turned into a really, uh, really excellent four-way dice between Michael Laverty, a resurgent Michael Laverty, going really well, really loving the conditions. Uh, Leon Haslam, uh, who again had just put the wets on and can stick his neck out. You know what he's like. He's like a little bulldog. Uh, Glenn Irwin, strangely. Uh, Glenn really seemed to love... I mean, most of the Irish riders 
don't mind a bit of inclement weather because they have to put up with that during the formative sort of racing years in Ireland generally, as Brits do in general. And and then he was comfortably ahead of Shaky though, wasn't he, on the same bike? I mean, that was pretty impressive actually. Yeah, he was, but Shaky stayed with him a little bit, then dropped back. But Shaky just got the impression was going to bring it home, whatever. And the four at the front, uh, including Erwin and, and Jake Dixon, was the, was the fourth member of, of the, the sort of breakaway group. You got the impression that they weren't all going to finish, and they actually all didn't. Uh, but any one of them could have crashed, it looked like to me, at any, at any point. Shane Byrne looked like he was well within himself and was just going to bring it home in whatever position. That turned out to be a really good, uh, I think, fourth place he ended up. But the four of the front end up taking off into the distance, really taking a load of risk. Jake Dixon nipping around anybody that was within range, going in a second at one point, dropping back to fourth, nipping past Aslam in, in a third again. But then eventually went under Aslam into Graymill Bend. That put him on really a tight line coming out. He opened the throttle when he would have opened the throttle on a wider line, but he had a little bit more lean angle because he was actually on the inside of Aslam. Flicked himself off, really uh, annoyed with himself, got up and sort of grabbed his head in his hands and he's going off sort of shaking his fist himself, you know, one of them where he was just really annoyed. Yeah. Uh, that left three of them. Michael Abbey doing most of the pacing. Really, really good. Felt happy for him because it's the first time we've seen anything of him, not just for this season, but for a long time, really. So him on the Tiger was doing well and set the pace mostly. Then Irwin and, and then Haslam force away past Laverty. Laverty seemed to settle them for a, a really safe third. It being a long way back to Shaky Burn. And it became a two-way fight for the last few laps then between Irwin and Haslam. Neither one of them wanted to give any ground. They're both the type of riders that we know are going to take a risk and want to win. Uh, and in the end, after a bit of towing and throwing, it was Haslam who came out on top. But a cracking, cracking race. Lots of sideways action, a lot of wheel spinning, loads of people sort of sliding off, picking themselves back, back up, flipping all sorts of shenanigans going on right down the field and it was a great race to watch that's what's great isn't it some people criticise the brand's indie circuit but I actually really like it it's great for watching on you can see pretty much every corner can't you if you stand on the grass opposite the pit lane but no traction control really relentless lap and it was just classic BSB in many ways it was classic BSB a few people you didn't think were going to have a bit of a go having a right all go in them sort of condition and I like to see that the sort of dampening clement weather giving the, the sort of riders like like yeah yeah um, richard cooper had run right up the front and he crashed but i mean he, i spoke to him last night and richard said look i was happy to run up front i was having a bit of a go i knew i could crash because i was sort of riding you know i was taking a few risks as everybody else was at the front and you know he was he was quite happy that it was up the front when he went down and not sort of near the back so um it was a good meeting yeah good uh super sport was fantastic as well super sport Ended up, as you would expect, both races included the two men at the front of the championship, who I think are going to be the men to beat most of the year. Yeah, it looks uh, like that's it. Ben Curry, Aussie Ben Curry and Dubliner uh, Jack Kennedy. Um, they were only spoiled a little bit by uh, being joined up front by um, James Rispoli. And that was brilliant to see, because a couple of things about James. He's mad as a box of frogs. He will always <laughs> take a risk. As soon as the sort of rain came down, he was going for it. He was either going to end up in a flipping, you know, pile in the in, in the in the gravel trap or or in a field somewhere nearby. Exactly, he got a result, which is brilliant. He so he ended up second, and he split the he split the two of Kennedy and and Curry in in the feature race, which meant that Jack Kennedy takes a four point lead away from Brands, which is brilliant for him. 
for his part, um, Ben Curry could have done much better. He pushed right up front. He tried really hard. In the sprint race, six thousandths of a second split them. There was nothing to choose between them, Kennedy and Curry. Um, and, and, and it was good racing. Really, really good racing. Yeah, and six thousandths of a second at Brands Hatch. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? It does. That was exactly uh, the gap um, that uh, Tommy Hill won yeah. uh, from. Yeah. From Hopper uh, back in uh, I think eleven, which was a close twenty eleven. Yeah, yeah, and that that was six thousandths of a second, not just for that race, but that was for the championship because either one of them could have won it. Um, so that was good. Um, I I was actually involved in a the closest ever Super Sport World Championship race finish between uh, myself, Pete Toyka, and Kellner, and we went across the line. Ah, oh, really? Yeah, that was it, that was. A bike length between three of us, uh, and, and Kellner right behind us within a, another bike length. So, um, where was that? Where I can't remember now. That, that was Brands Hatch. That was that was at Brands Hatch. Oh, that, not, oh, that was Brands as well. Yeah, okay, not well. on the Indy circuit though. But it's the same sort of run out of the last corner that you've got to contend with if you're in a close finish. Uh, but all in all, it was a cracking meeting. Um, I, I, I think I'm right in saying, but correct me if I'm wrong. It, we, we got away with it without anybody getting. I'm always concerned at any meeting that we go away with everybody in one piece and not, not you know, heading for casualties. So I think we got away with that mostly. That was good. Uh, and a cracking meeting, decent crowding and a decent feel to it. I also thought, um, just looking through the results, I thought Carl Phillips did it right as well inside the top 10 up from the stock class. That was an absolutely brilliant result for, for the Ulsterman. Yeah. yeah. Again, wet weather, got cracking, got his head down and got a real result. Also, I was really pleased for Taron McKenzie. He got his season underway. I think he got a... Yeah, a, he was ninth. I think, yeah, I think a ninth and an eleventh, which was, you know, that that's he got my Rookie of the Day award. And, um, yeah, I'm really, really pleased to see. Actually, in qualifying, he looked really strong. He looked like he got a huge wobble on his fastest lap that put him ninth. He got he had a huge wobble mm. coming out of clearways that cost him a couple of three tenths of a second. So he would have been second row, which would have been brilliant. But I mean, all in all, a good meeting for him. Oh, I bet Neil was pleased with that as well. All right, nice. Well, there's our race review. Then let's move on to Rider of the Weekend. So Rider of the Weekend, where what do you reckon? There's um, well, there's loads of contenders judging by what you've just said. I was really pleased, uh, by the way, for um, to see Chas Davis get a win. Um, I like that he's sort of metal the way that um, you know he's prepared to sort of stick his neck out a bit and had to come through both yeah. times he had to come through from fairly lowly grip positions um, equally pleased to see Jonathan Ray not folding up under pressure and giving him an hard run for his money in race two I thought that he wanted to win just as much as, as Charles so that was good Rinaldi I thought was excellent on on the, the third of the Aruba bikes and Toprak I thought Toprak put a performance in as well and I think we're going to see more of Toprak I don't know what you think but I think that's the kid's got a lot of talent yeah I reckon he could be a champion of the future and what about Forrest as well because you talked about him in the programme Javi Forrest Forrest is just a revelation I mean he's been the I mean if Forrest had just come into the championship last year we'd be saying what a brilliant yeah. rider that's excellent he's, he, but yeah, true. the fact is we've known about him for many many years you know and he's always been a journeyman it's just that this last couple of years he's raised his game and he's, he's just become somebody who now you expect to be somewhere near and that's brilliant to see and he's such a nice fella such a nice humble yeah not not cocky humble kind of guy it's really good to see that so yeah definitely pleased to see that um, but my rider of the weekend is going to come from um BSB and it is going to be I think Brad Ray because it just 
it, yeah, but it's difficult. I'd like to say Shane Byrne because he, you know, as as experienced <laughs> as he is, he's almost impossible to, to say. Neck. Yeah, and uh, Leon Aslam because he stuck his neck out, got away with it, and got his season underway. But. I, I still want to say, Bradbury. Well, fair enough, fair enough. I think it's well deserved. Okay, let's move on. This is the star tweet. Right, star tweet, James. I've got to be honest, I haven't had too much time to look through BSB tweets, but one I have just seen, and we shouldn't forget this, you were just talking about people being hurt. A uh, picture of Dan Linfoot. It doesn't look like he's in brilliant shape, actually, at the moment. What happened to him? Uh, Dan Linfoot um, had a crash going into an initial brake tap at Graham Hill and uh, slid off his bike, kind of hit him and uh, rolled over him, which resulted in a C6 uh, fracture, uh, but a non-displaced. Mm. Basically, he's broken a vertebrae, but it's non-displaced, and has, there's no problem whatsoever as long as he keeps it fairly stable, keeps the neck brace on and doesn't do anything stupid, which he won't because he's a savvy, intelligent lad, he's done. And uh, so, yeah, that was a bit unfortunate for him. But the tw- the tweet of the weekend and possibly the year for me was definitely off the back of that. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, you've got to see it. You've got to either follow Dan Linfoot or Lee Johnston because Lee, uh, Dan posted a picture of himself, a little selfie of his head and neck area with a big pair of sort of cushions. Yeah, I'm, lo- I'm looking at that right yeah. now, actually. Right, I, I so, see that one. So what he's got, He's a picture of himself with his face looking none too sort of happy and a pair of big cushions <laughs> about sort of a foot by six inches uh, that's taped to the side of his head to stop him moving his head and neck. Um, and, yeah. uh, and looking up saying, oh, broke C6. Uh, I'm going to be out of action for a couple of meetings, blah, blah. And off the back of that, there are a couple of t- uh, tweets saying, get well soon, buddy. And then Lee Johnston, who was a good mate of Dan's, uh, they both instruct on my track days and see quite a lot of each other, and obviously both Honda men this year. Uh, but a tweet from Lee saying, "Mate, those uh, headphones are, are t- way too big. I'll buy you a nice set of, of uh, feet <laughs> uh, and, a, and a big laughing face." <laughs> I thought it was a little bit kind of uh, kicking the nuts, but really, really funny. Yeah. I had us all laughing at the hotel. All the all the Eurosport crew were laughing at that. It's great, actually. That's what I do love about bike racing. And you get that camaraderie more than in car racing. I'm not saying you don't get it in cars, but everyone looks after each other, don't they, in bikes? They really do. Yeah, and, and for all, it was a little bit uh, a, a bit sort of punching the guts, Mickey take. Uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he wasn't really mentally, you know, he, we all... Dan certainly knew that he was he was having a laugh and he was he was concerned for him, you know. Yeah, nice stuff. That's <laughs> it's quite funny. Right, here's Tech Talk. For Tech Talk, James, I was just thinking we could discuss, really, just what it is like riding in anger a British superbike with no traction control, no anti-wheelie, nothing like that, around Brands Hatch in the rain. What is that like? Um, well, I, I mean, as near as I can get from my own experience, we'll be riding probably 165 or 170 horsepower superbike round Brands in those conditions. Uh, and it's hard work. I mean, now they've got over 200 brake horsepower. Um, they've got electronics in the sense that they can they can actually cut power. They don't. They can uh, their electronics can allow their bike only to produce a certain amount of power in each gear. It, what it can't do is give them active traction control. So you know when the tire starts to spin, the only way that the rider can stop the t- the rear tire spinning is close the throttle or put the back brake on. Mm. So 
really, everything's down to the rider as far as traction control goes. So, in effect, you can't just come out of a corner, whack the throttle open and expect the electronics to control the amount of power to the rear wheel and then keep you safe. And so in, in BSB, it, there's a lot more of the, of the rider's safety down to him himself. I'm not saying there's no, you know, that takes away the skill level of the, the world championship riders because that's not the case. To get the best from a bike, you've still got to be pushing at the limit and those guys, uh, we all know how skillful they are. But at BSB, I would say in those conditions, in the wet, you are closer to jumping off. Um, and in actual fact, yeah. to win a wet race, especially around brands in those conditions, it's about sticking your neck out for 30 laps. <laughs> <laughs> every corner of every lap of the race, you are taking a little bit of a risk, and you could see that. Um, I can relate to that because it was like that in my day. We didn't have any kind of traction control, albeit we didn't have 210 brake horse. We had perhaps 160 brake horse. But still, um, you know, it felt sometimes in those conditions your bike was trying to kill you. Um, and, I, and I'm <laughs> sure, for all that a couple of riders said after the race, oh, that was great fun. I'm sure that they were pleased to see the chequered flag as well. Yeah, I was going to say, pleased to see it was over, yeah. yeah. All right, we're talking to the chequered flag. Here's our chequered flag. Okay, so next time out, we've got Assen this weekend, James, which is the only back-to-back rounds of the year for World Superbikes. And then BSB resumes not long after that with Alton Park, two classic and legendary tracks. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, Assen is uh, almost everybody... Um, in any kind of world championship racing's favourite track. It's a brilliant part of the world. Love the Dutch people. They love the racing. It's particularly good for Brits because it's not too far for British fans to, to travel. It's a, a little bit of a ferry ride and a little bit of a drive. For some northern yeah. uh, race-going fans, it, it's probably as quick to get on a North Sea ferry and get across and go and watch that. It's less mileage to do that than it is to go watch somewhere like Brands Hatch. Yeah, that's funny, isn't it? So, yeah. the, the, the southern bike racing English fans, it's as easy for them to jump on a ferry and drive up as it is to probably go to Knock Hill. So it's easily accessible for British fans. Mm-hmm. It's a great circuit. It's one that's altered over the years. It's got a bit shorter uh, and a little bit less complex, but they haven't lost the original kind of fast-flowing, cambered corner uh, kind of feel to it. It's still got a little bit of its own kind of DNA left from the original road circuit. Um, and it's brilliant. The, the From... The Dutch crowd who go and watch are brilliant. The people who uh, are on the paddock gate, the security people are nice and savvy and not officious in any way. Everybody's really cool. Um, and it's, it's they're an inviting kind of country as well as the Dutch, so it's a great place to go and watch and a great place to ride. So I think universally liked. Open park, yeah, open park for next people. Yeah, that's probably the best um, short circuit in Britain for my money. Um, really? That, okay. Yeah, it's got that as near as a road circuit feel you can get on a short circuit. The elevation change and the soft nature, fast flowing nature of the place is brilliant. Favorite with the crowd, favorite with the with the BSB riders. Um, it's on a par with Brands Hatch Full Circuit and uh, all, all, um, Carroll Park for me. It's one of the three sort of traditional British kind of feeling circuits. Um, whether we're going to get the weather for it, the forecast for both at this long-term sort of forecast stage is brilliant. Looks like it's going to be really good at Assen. And that, one of the things about Assen is you can get good and bad weather at any point in the year. It can 
you know, it can be pouring down with rain or it can be absolutely beautiful. It looks yeah. like next week's going to be excellent weather looking at the long-term forecast. So I'm looking forward to that, yeah. Yeah, it looks really, really good. When are you going out there? I'm heading out. I'm flying into Amsterdam on Thursday. What's your plan? Uh, yeah, we're heading out Thursday. We've got some things to do on Friday and really, really looking forward to uh, to, to catching up with the World Superbike boys. And of course, it's a full outside broadcast for Eurosport as well, isn't it, this weekend? So we'll have Matt Roberts, we'll have everyone on site, all our crew. It's going to be good. I do believe we've got Shaky Burn with us as well. Oh, have we? Lovely. He's, uh, Shaky's always good, actually, isn't he, to have on the team because... Um, he does put some great questions forward, like just like you do and James Hayden, but you can tell he genuinely loves the television work. Ah, uh, he does love the television work. He's a bit of a close horse as well. He likes getting his designer wear on, <laughs> doesn't he? Um, oh, he, he does, but, yeah. But, you know, he's, he's bang on point with his, uh, his sort of pundit work because he's right at the pointed end now. You know, you don't get any better than the reigning, you know, a five-time British champion turning up to give you, your, to give you his opinion on, on what's going on in racing, doesn't get any more current than that, does it? Yeah, it doesn't. And we'll be live on the Eurosport TV channel. You know where else we're going to be live, don't you? The good odd Eurosport player as well. It's brilliant because you can see absolutely everything. You, there's the cover sidecars and oh, and oh, let me tell you, Brands actually sidecars was a bit of a muck and nettles, really. Oh, uh, really? I still need to watch this back and have a catch up with Barry Nutley. What happened? Oh, oh Barry loves his sidecars. As I do, actually. Oh, he does. He's a great guy. Me too. Yeah. The kind of hard working lads. They, they generally tend to be. It's a guy who's flipping, uh, working on the bike that drives the truck to the meetings and all the rest of it. It's proper <laughs> old school going racing. Yeah. Uh, they had, a, they had a, a, a bit of a weekend of it because uh, one of them blew up and dumped a load of oil. That got the, their race stopped. Then they were put on oh, right dear. at the end of the day when everybody else was trying to pack up and sort of get the, the crew out of the gallery. It was a, a bit messy for them, but, but they're always fairly happy, the sidecar lads, I have to say. <laughs> They are. What I like about the cyclists is they're so different, aren't they, to the solos? It's just uh, solos. It's just something different. Yeah, you look at most of them. You won't want to have a scrap with, would you? They're, they're no way. Uh, <laughs> and there's two of them as well, which makes yeah, it worse. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Well, I'll see you at Assen, and uh, who knows what's going to happen. But yeah, the weather looks good. See you there. All right. Cheers, Greg. Cheers, buddy. So that's it for this week's Full Throttle Eurosport Bikes podcast. Many thanks to Freddie Spencer and to James Whittam. And from myself, Greg Haynes, James and I will be back this coming Monday, though, as we will head to Assen in the Netherlands for the latest round, the fourth of the season, the seventh and eighth races of the World Superbike Championship. We'll be coming to you from the commentary box there at what is known, of course, as the Cathedral of Speed. But don't forget to follow all of the action on Eurosport and the Eurosport player across the weekend. And we'll be back with you on Full Throttle next Monday.